Well, if you will, turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. We've been journeying the last 10 weeks in the book of Romans, and it's been so fun to break down this amazing book. We'll be in Romans 16 today. I've never preached this passage before. I've often referenced it. It's meant a lot to me throughout the years, so I am really excited to preach this passage uh, today. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had someone talk behind you, your back and you found out about it, uh, right? Have you had that happen? Uh, how did that make you feel? Probably hurt your feelings, right? It probably uh, was negative and uh, you lost trust with that person. You wanted nothing to do with them. But I want to talk to you about a different way of talking behind someone's back. Have you ever had someone talk behind your back in a good way and it got back to you and it made you feel good? Like, like someone says, like I had a guy, I was at a church uh, consulting thing and I was uh, teaching and I had a guy walk up to me and um, I actually knew him. He, I guess he forgot that he knew me. Um, I thought that I knew him, but he walks up to me and says, man, I've heard, a, I've heard so much about you. And he mentioned the individuals who talked about talk, talk, and, and what they said about me. That made me feel good, right? That someone would actually positively talk behind my back in a good way. Well, what we're going to look at today in the book of Romans is what Paul does in that same respect. He talks about people behind their back, and it's actually in a good way. Now, as we've talked about Romans now, we've been at 10 weeks. You can probably even recite the history of it if you've been with us that amount of time. But Romans is the most important book in the New Testament because it is literally a miniature Bible. If you want to find out what to believe about Christianity. If you want to find out, uh, you know, really deep theological truths, study the book of Romans. The book of Romans has been the single book that has launched and catapulted movements of Christianity. Even Christianity itself was because of Romans. Martin Luther, when he read it, um, he broke off from the Catholic Church. He nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Catholic Church because of Romans. He said, wait a minute. We're not saved through works. We're saved by grace through faith. We can't earn it. What are we doing? And people lost their lives transcribing the Bible into German so normal people could read it. Before then, they couldn't read it. And as you study the movements of Christianity, this book was the center point of it all. Now, Romans is also very important because this is one of Paul's last letters. The Apostle Paul had been journeying for 20 years now. He wanted to visit the capital of the Roman Empire. It was you know, the, the major metropolis. He had planned to visit it because in that day and time, if you reached the city, you could reach everybody else because of trade routes. People would come in and out of Rome. And so Paul was like, man, I want to visit Rome. But for 20 years, he never made it there. So he finally, while he's sitting in Corinth around the mid-first century, he pins this letter to the church at Rome. And it's just chalked so full of theology, chalked so full of experience. And it is a, it's just one of the most phenomenal letters that you'll see that Paul, it's like his masterpiece. And what happens at the end of Romans is he does something that he doesn't do in any other letter to this extent. He starts mentioning people. People that you and I have never heard of, uh, like their names are strange to us. You're wondering, but he pauses and lets the church at Rome know the people who have meant so much to him on his journeys and what he's done for Christianity. And not only that, but you got to realize in the first century, you couldn't just write a letter with a pen. It was, it was uh, you know, quill and ink and papyrus, very hard to write. So they would take these, these letters and they would circulate them through the churches. 
And so Paul is writing this not only for the church at Rome, but for all the churches of Asia Minor as this letter will be circulated. And luckily for you, we're only in like 18 verses a day. They would read the whole letter in one sitting. Maybe a bathroom break halfway through. We're not doing that today. You can be rest assured, breathe easily. We're going to look at just at Romans 16. And so if you will, look at Romans 16, verse 1 with me this morning. And this is Paul finishing this letter out. And he says, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church at Centuria. If you're ever wondering, should women be able to lead in ministry and all of that? Right here, Phoebe led. She was a deacon, one of the leaders in the church. Um, unless it was a guy that had, you know, that was called sister. I don't think that's the case back then. Well, welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, especially to me. And then Paul starts listing off people. He says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, who played a big role in the book of Acts, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus In fact, they once risked their lives for me, and I'm thankful for them. And so are all the Gentile churches. That's the the non-Jews. I also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epinetus. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Isn't that neat? The first person in all of Asia. He says, give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among uh, the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Amplitus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, my dear friend Statius, and greet Apelles, a good man who Christ approves. And give my greetings to the believers from the household of uh, Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus. Give my greetings to Trophina and Trophosa, the Lord's worker, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Why couldn't they have names like Peter, James, and John? <laughs> like, y'all, as I'm studying this, I, I, I know I'm not studying commentaries, but I'm like, how do I even pronounce these names? Thank the Lord for, like, the, the audio Bible, right? It says here, verse 13, greet Rufus whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who's been a mother to me. Isn't that powerful? I mean, you're, you're, you're peering in to probably the greatest impactful Christian in history and the people who meant something to him who you've probably never even heard of. Give my greetings to Esenacritus, to Philegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. Give my greetings to Philagoas, Julia, Nerus, his sister, and to Olympus and all the believers who meet with them. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. And now I make one more appeal. My dear brothers and sisters, watch out for those people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They're serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. And why did I read all 18 verses of names that I could hardly pronounce? And you go try if you, you, know, if you think it's uh, easy. Why, why would I preach Romans 16? Why, why would I go through that? Because Paul is showing hidden figures, people who have been instrumental to him propelling the gospel 
in the first century. And, and as I read this passage, I had to just pause and think, like, these guys didn't get a, you know, it didn't come in document form they could download it. Imagine them sitting there, and the elder or pastor is reading the letter, and he gets to the very end. And Phoebe hears this, and she's like, wait a minute. Right? And remember the mother to one of his friends who says has been a dear mother? I mean, could you imagine how they felt? Like, they're sitting there like you, kind of like, I'm ready for lunch. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. 16 chapters. This, wow. They sit through 16 chapters. And they start hearing these things about them that Paul says. He's talking behind their back. Because I think Paul thought at this point, I may never get to the church at Rome I want them to know how I feel about these people, especially to those who are uh, there at the church at Rome who've now moved to Rome. He wanted them to, to see that. And as I thought about this passage, here's what I want to translate to you today that Paul was trying to translate to them. You matter more than you think you do. Those people mattered more than they probably thought they did to Paul. They all played small roles in Paul's ministry some of them times Paul was there two weeks and he planted a church, he launched it. The gospel was, you know, was, was preached. People got saved and then Paul was on to somewhere next. The longest he pastored any place was Ephesus, which was two years. And, and I wonder if these people struggled thinking, is what I do really matter? It's a little church who meets in my home. Do we really matter? And the answer was yes. And today I want you to understand that. Do you matter more than you think you do? You know, I shared a few weeks ago that I had a good friend to, that committed suicide recently. We were, you know, we were friends and just reconnected. And he was under so much anxiety and struggle. And, and, you know, I think the thing that I would love to say to him if I had one more conversation was this. You matter more than you think you do. You matter to the people in your professional life. You matter to your family. You matter to your children. You matter more than you think you do. And we live in a society that as we're scrolling, we're always seeing celebrities. We're seeing someone with a bigger house, a nicer car, better job, someone who can do whatever we do better than what we can do. I mean, no matter where you're at, you're going to find someone who's better. Try to fit in this world. I don't care how fit you get. There's going to be some Instagram model who pops up, right? It's got a 12-pack of abs, not even a six-pack. How'd they get them? I don't know. Like we're all filtering and we're all posting because we're, we're not, people struggle in our generation with feeling insecure and insignificant. And if you were honest today, you probably feel that way too. People lack self-esteem. They lack self-worth. And I want you to understand that as a follower of Jesus, you matter more than you think you do. That you have gifts and value and what you have to understand is that God's placed those inside of you. He, there was a story of these monks in 1957. As their uh, little town in Thailand was being attacked by the Burmese army, they had this golden Buddha that they actually began to cover with clay and mud. And they covered the whole thing up so the Burmese army wouldn't come and take it. And unfortunately, all these monks were slaughtered. Most of the town and the village was slaughtered, but over the years it regenerated, repopulated. And so some 70 years later, you know, that's where they were at. They wanted to move that Buddha. And they got ready to move it, and they thought it was concrete with clay on the outside. As they began to move that Buddha, 
Things begin to fall off the side of it, and what they saw was gold. It was a solid gold Buddha. The town didn't know it. And the whole time, they had been treating it ordinary because of the outside of it looked like clay. The same thing is true for us in our life. You have gold inside of you. God has given you value. God has given you worth. You have intrinsic value and extrinsic value in the kingdom of God. But because of all that we've been through in life, of what we've been told we can't do and what we're not, and all the things maybe you faced as a child, we have this clay covering around us, insecurity. And we think there's, we have nothing to offer. Can I tell you there's gold inside of you? But what you have to do is you, you have to do this. Let God help you see your value. You have to open up and say, Lord, help me see my value. You know, we've been, we study personality profiles every year as a staff, and my own Enneagram, which I am a number three, if you study that stuff, is I, can't, I can never see my own value. And what I have to do is pause and help the Lord help me see my value. See, God did this for Jesus as, as, kind of as an example for us. So when Jesus went to get water baptized in the Jordan, he, he didn't have to get baptized. He's Jesus, right? He was sinless. He wasn't repenting of anything. He did it as an example for us. And as he steps to the Jordan, it says the heavens opened, and then a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's Matthew 3.16. I don't believe you can truly understand John 3.16 unless you understand Matthew 3.16. Because in that moment, God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. At that point, Jesus had never done a miracle. He had never preached a sermon. He had never done anything. What was God pleased with? Him. That was his son. What he was telling him was, son, I don't care what you do or don't do. I love you. You've got what it takes. You're valuable. And the same way, when you begin to follow Jesus, God looks at you and says, I'm well pleased with you. Well, God, you know I messed up. In Christ, you're in Christ. I'm pleased with you because you're in Christ. You have value. You have gifts. I love you. See, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, gospel, amen, in the gospel of Luke, in Luke 15, there's a parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And what Jesus wanted the people to understand, the Jewish people, was this. You have value to God. You're not un invaluable to Him. In the same way, you have to do that. Help, let God help you see that value. As you open the Scriptures up and, and He says that you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're a saint. Receive that for yourself. You're a child of God, right? You can call Him Abba as we studied a few weeks ago. But you have to do that. And here's what I've learned about value. Here's two truths. I want you to really let this sink in because our world is upside down. And culture has influenced what we believe is valuable. And it's this, that your value and God's value for you is not dependent on a public platform. God's value for you is not dependent on a public platform. The people in Romans 16, most of those, there's only a few that we even see in the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church. Only a few of those, like Priscilla and Aquila are the two, you know, probably most known there. But the rest of these people probably didn't have a public platform. One lady, as we studied, was, was just like a mother to Paul. She probably never preached a sermon, never got on a stage, but she was valuable. And if you're thinking that my value is, is, is diminished because I'm not on a public platform, then you are very, very mistaken. Matter of fact, a lot of times pastors struggle with this. 
I talk with them all the time and I work with them. They think the guys with the biggest platforms are making the most impact. Can I tell you what a platform does for you? It doesn't give you greater impact. It gives you a greater opportunity to give Christianity a black eye. It's the greater the platform, the greater the opportunity to give Christianity a black eye. And it seems like every month or two, we're just seeing this again and again, right? Another scandal, another thing, another mega thing blowing up. And, and you got to realize this, that y- you are able to make impact and have value is not based on a platform that you have. It is based on your posture to serve. And that's how you have to understand that God has given you value. Amen? For me, for me, this is not, this is not who I am. This is not who I am. I'm way past that game. Way past that game. This is what I do. First of all, I'm a child of God. And that's where I find my joy, guys, is that I have a relationship with our Creator. I've been redeemed. Man, I get to wake up every morning. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I can worship. I have full access to our Father. He rescued me through Jesus. Secondly, I'm a husband. I didn't make a covenant with my child when I got married. I made a covenant with my, with my wife. A lot, a lot of you guys are putting your children before your marriage. That's why it's upside down. I'm a husband to an amazing wife. Thirdly, I'm a father. Next, I'm a friend. You know what pastoring is? You say, well, when are you a pastor? Pastoring is what I do. It's not who I am. Amen? The platform can't. And that's why I'm telling you, man, and, and this is, I have a lot of pastor friends who watch this. That's why pastors are so depressed. They find their joy in preaching and pastoring. It comes and goes. What, what you do in life will come and go. But who you are, you have value beyond what you do. And you have to understand that. It's not based on a platform. The second truth is this. God's value for you is not based on how you feel you're doing. Also, many times we have people at Thrive who are amazing rock star people just killing it. And they're like, I just don't feel like I'm doing a good job. I'm like, who told you that? Nobody. I just feel that way. <laughs> it's not based on how you feel you're doing. Some of you feel like you're, you're a bad parent and you're trying your best. It's never based on how you feel you're doing. Your value is based on your faithfulness. Are you being faithful? Yes, I'm, I'm being faithful. Then that's good enough for God. You got to get out of your own head sometimes. I talked to a pastor this morning. I, I, I just felt led to text him this morning. Just felt led the Lord. Never done this. And he was like, thank you. I cannot believe that you, you are obedient. I just feel like I'm doing a terrible job. I feel like I'm just failing. I feel like I'm going to get up there and just vomit today. And just all these emotions this guy was carrying. I've been up all night, can't sleep. I was like, man, you're great. You're faithful. You preach faithfully every week. There's people love you. You're doing an amazing job. But he was thinking his value was based on how he felt he was doing. So many of us quit and back off from what we're doing based on feelings. Just be faithful. That's the value there. And so here's what you have to understand. Here's why this is so important today. And it's this. If you can't see your value in the kingdom of God, rarely will you be able to help others see their value either. And that's why I'm really focusing on you today. I want you to see your value in the kingdom of God, your value as a child of God. Because after that happens, then you've got to take a note from Paul's playbook and show others their value. 
But here's what I've come to understand. Only secure people can help others see their value. Insecure people never give out compliments. They never give out gratefulness. They never just spontaneously just start texting people. It's like, man, I'm, I'm really just grateful for you. They can't do it because they can't see their own value. And usually if you can't see your own value, there's two things. If you withhold gratefulness and value and compliments from others, it makes you feel good. Because if you start complimenting them, then it means, hey, they're better than I am. And most of us don't do that because we can't see our own value. And sometimes people don't do it because they have no idea how to see their own value. When you see your own value, then you can begin to give it to everybody else and show everybody else what they're worth. And that's where things begin to change in everything in life. You know, for me, this is important because I didn't think I had much to offer Christianity. Um, I played and toured in a punk rock band and the church I went to back in the early 2000s, if you lived in the rural South, church was not like this. Young people, growing up in church like this today, it, it was much different back then. I was told that I was Satan. <laughs> I was doing, I was, I seriously, I had this little old lady come out there, man, making, you know, for the women's ministry, making food for them. And she said, you're the devil. Because she didn't like her music. And her name was Eleanor. And I was like, Eleanor, I was like, we're many members of the body of Christ. And Romans 12 says this. And I was preaching the gospel to her. Wow. She said, well, I've never. And I said, I bet you haven't. And that's the way we were, I thought I was just, I thought, man, I didn't have much to offer. I didn't think I was really doing the work of God when I was getting to share the gospel with people who will never and probably have never been to a church, people who hated Jesus. I was getting to show kindness to them and share the gospel with them. I thought I had nothing to offer. And then a friend who's my long, longest term friend, I talk to every week, I met him. And he, for the first time ever, showed me I had value. Number one, he actually liked the band. And then number two, he said, hey, man, you've got gifts. Like, you're doing like what they call an apostolic, you're going to apostolic work. You go around and you're like changing culture and you're leading and you're writing songs and you're doing it. You're leading. He says, man, you've got a teaching gift. Like, you know, when you taught the youth that night, you were really good. And I'm like, really? I couldn't see it myself. He was secure enough to see value in me. He gave me my first leadership book. He would come back from his master's degree, and we'd sit and have lunch. He'd tell me everything he learned. And I'm just like taking notes. And I began to see value in myself. He told me that I could do it. He told me that I could do this. Now today, I mean, our church is, is, is way bigger than his church. You know what? He loves it. He loves it. He says, man, I'm getting it. This is why, he said, this is why I, I, I live and exist to see you succeed. He was secure enough in himself to help me see the value inside of me, to see the gold inside of me, to pull a Romans 16 on me and do that. And it changed my life. You know, Jesus did this for John the Baptist. John the Baptist was discouraged and distraught in prison. And he sends his disciples, while Jesus is publicly teaching and preaching, to ask a question, a very offensive question. We're going to deal with this in a few weeks in our new series. He says, are you the one or, sh or should we look for another? Uh, Jesus could be like, hey, bro, you baptized me. You heard the voice from heaven. What do you think? Send that back to John. But John thought Jesus would be a, a political Messiah to take over Israel. And Jesus calmly says, tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, the gospel is preached to the poor. 
Go tell them that. And then he turns to the crowd and he says, how dare John question my authority? No, he didn't do that, did he? He thought he was like, I heard that. <laughs> There's a reason that guy's in prison, right? You know, like, like he could have, he didn't. Jesus said, there's no one on earth greater than this guy. John the Baptist is one of the greatest ever. And he goes on just to talk about how awesome he is. And I think Jesus did that so that would get back to him. So he would hear him talking behind his back and showing the value that he had to the kingdom. Because John probably thought getting ready to die in prison, to be beheaded by Herod, what do I have to offer? So here's what I think we have to do, guys, and, and I want you to realize this. Write this down in your notes this morning. Here's our action step. Show gratefulness to help others see their value. Show gratefulness to help others see their value. Take time to do that. And I'm telling you, if you will do this, you will transform not only your own heart, but the hearts of those around you. Some, so, you know, one thing that, that, that we do as a staff, we get together once a month and we write thank you notes. And we write praying for you cards to people. If you've let us know you're going through something, we try to remember and write it. We write thank you notes to those who show up early and stay late and serve and go, go above and beyond what's asked of them. Because we want to make sure that they know that they're valued. And if you want to transform anything around you, your marriage, your job, anything, your children, show gratefulness. Because here's what was so important about the early church. They had a sacred community. Sacred. How do you start from 120 people in the upper room to in the third century? Constantine's like, we keep trying to kill them and they just keep multiplying. They're like baby's kids. They don't die, they multiply. <laughs> We're feeding them the lions. We're lighting them on fire for, you know, Nero's. Why can't we? And they could not figure out how to stop Christianity by killing them. So what does he do? Let's make it the national religion. Try to politicize it, right? Why? Because they had a sacred community. And sacred community is built on showing value. And that's what Paul did. He said, greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm not asking you to do that at Thrive. Don't go around kissing people. It's weird. Right? We're, 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 we're fist bumpers, handshakers, some hugs. Right? But you have to understand this, that sacred community is always built on showing value to others. I want to close out today with three ways to do this. And this is very important. I want you to copy and paste this, not only at church, but copy and paste this into your marriage. It will transform it. Some of you, your spouse feels devalued because you don't specifically, you don't sincerely, you don't, you don't, you don't show value. So the first thing you're going to do is be specific when you show gratefulness and want to show value to someone. Be specific about why you're grateful for them. That's what I do for my wife. I leave her little notes and write little cards about what I'm grateful for her about. What I love about her. Be very specific. Don't be the Tylenol person where you give away, you give away, you know, you, you give out uh, value and gratefulness in the same way to everybody. We had a pastor when I was in Georgia. He'd say, I believe in you, buddy. But then he'd tell everybody, I believe in you, buddy. I believe in you, buddy. I believe in you. And we, we actually had an inside joke. We're like, hey, I believe in you, buddy. Because you know what? We didn't think he believed in us. You know why? He told everybody the same thing. He was never like, hey, I believe in you, buddy, because you bring this to the table to help me see the gold myself. Be specific. The, the second thing you've got to do is be sincere. Paul was very specific in Romans 16 about some of these people. 
But Paul was also very sincere to these guys here and what they brought to the table. This is not manipulation. This is sincerity, that you sincerely are grateful for those people in your life. And that's what Paul did. And finally, you know what he did? He was spirit-led. You know, we're told in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God inspired these writers to write the Bible. So Romans 16 was inspired by God. You don't see this in other religious texts. Study. Go ahead. Pull out out the four noble truths of, of Buddhism. Pull out the Quran. You don't see this stuff. This was inspired by the Spirit of God. Isn't that beautiful? For us to see how important it is to be grateful and show value to those around us. So you need to be Spirit-led to let someone know how grateful you are uh, for them, what they bring to the table. You don't have to tear other people down to make yourself look good, make yourself look better. You actually begin to build your own self-esteem when you build others up. And I want you to see your communities, whatever that friends, the friendship community you have, the relationships you have, the job culture you have, the church that we have, the marriage you have, the children you have. My son of the day just, you know, asked me, why are you telling me thank you and telling me how good of a job I'm doing on this trip? We had to drive 32 hours with a seven, seven-year-old. Like, I deserve an award for that, right? <laughs> 32 hours. I said, buddy, I'm just really proud of you. Like, and here's why. Okay. Always dole out gratitude. Somebody this week needs a card from you. Some of you, your spouse needs a surprise from you. And that's not a bad attitude. Showing up from homework with a bad attitude. They need a good surprise. Somebody needs that from you to show them value. My prayer for you is that you this week begin to see your value in the kingdom of God, that you are gifted, you are called, and you are chosen by our Creator. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, I ask that you would help each one of us to see our value in the kingdom. Help us, Lord, to chip away at the insecurity, the clay around us, to see the gold inside of us, Father. And Lord, I ask that it would not stop there, but Lord, you would use us to just perpetuate gratefulness and showing value and and gratitude to others, Lord. Help us to be gratitude machines, Lord. Lead us by your Spirit this week to maybe text somebody who needs to hear it. Lead us this week, God, to practice the discipline of gratitude, to transform any culture that we're in, Lord. People are starving for it, Lord. They need it. May we be the ones that feed it to them, God. We love you. We praise you. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe today you want to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you want to surrender your life to Christ. Maybe you want to come back to faith in Christ. Possibly you walked away because of a bad version of Christianity that you experienced or you've never given your life to Christ. If that's you today, right where you're sitting, I want you to pray this prayer, make this confession of faith after me. Here it is. You do this. You say, God, I admit I need the Savior. I admit I'm a sinner. I don't have it all together. My works can't save me. So today I give my life to Christ. I believe that he died on the cross 
I believe he rose again on the third day. And today, I ask for full forgiveness of my sins. I repent. I turn away from that old life. I leave it. And I welcome this brand new life that you've given me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for valuing me enough to pursue me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Every week somebody makes that decision. If you will, let them know it's the greatest decision of their life. Amen.